Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to see all your faces and to be with you all today. Um, and this is actually my first time speaking in a meeting, so I'm excited to do that and a little nervous, so I hope um, what I have to say will be of use to the group. But um, I just wanted to start out talking a little bit about sort of what it was like, what happened, how things are now, and then I'll talk a little bit about step seven um, at the end of my share. So um, what it was like, I think like many people who find themselves in 12-step programs, my problems with food go back a very long time to my childhood. And I can remember shame being a really powerful part of just my relationship with food at a very young age um, and a real drive for sugar. So I can remember in first grade, my mom came to pick me up from school and the cafeteria lady came over and said, you know, Harriet had two desserts in the lunchroom today. And she seemed so pleased with herself and I was mortified and um, just felt like, oh, I've done something very wrong. And also at our house, we didn't have a lot of money. So there were certain food products that if they were bought at the grocery store, like ice cream sandwiches or things like that, that had a certain number of servings in each box, everyone was entitled to their portion of that box and that's it. And um, my brother and sister didn't have any trouble complying with that. You know, okay, you're going to get two of these or three of these. But I would find myself after school hiding in the backyard, like eating multiple ones of them. And then I would feel so bad because I knew I had eaten what wasn't, in, you know, what wasn't mine. And then I would lie about it when people would say, what happened to the rest of these? I'm, well, I don't know. Gosh, yeah, I don't know. And later I know my mom would buy these certain kind of cookies for my brother to keep in his bedroom in a tin because they would disappear too quickly from the kitchen. So just to say that like, clearly there was something going on with me and food that wasn't necessarily happening with others in our household. And yet I didn't really understand it or see it as a problematic. I just saw I had so much shame around it. Um, there was a lot of chaos in our family. My father lived with mental illness, but it wasn't treated and it wasn't talked about. So there was just a lot of confusion and fear and, um, it was very anxious, even though that's not a word I understood as a child, I realized now I just lived with tremendous anxiety. And so, um, I didn't feel it because I ate my way through it, um, from a very young age all the way through. And, um, so I feel like that sort of shaped a couple things for me. One is we never talked about any of those things outside of our family. We didn't talk about them inside of our family either. So it shaped me into a person that had one image of what you put out to the rest of the world and a very different truth about how you live and how you manage whatever's going on with you. Um, it just sort of shaped me in a, in a world of denial where you just don't talk about it, just keep going, pretend it's not there. Um, even really huge things, you could just pretend they weren't happening. Um, and I think those things have been sort of a really powerful part of my sort of relationship with food all the way along and also weight and body image and things like that, because I just knew how to pretend this wasn't happening, compartmentalize that and keep going forward. Um, I always felt different from other people, I think, because of some of these things that were going on inside of me and in our household. But I didn't you know, and that just was kind of lonely because we didn't talk about what we were seeing. We didn't talk about what was happening and we certainly didn't talk about it with other people. So there's always like this distance. And 
food was my friend. Food was the comfort. Food was the thing that I could go to when I was worried or um, when I, I just, there wasn't that barrier with food. Um, at the same time, I was a high achieving, popular person. Like if you saw from the outside, you would think that family has it figured out. All those kids are straight A students. They're on the student council. They're, you know, those, we're all perfectionists. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with make sure you're putting the right kind of picture out to other people. Um, and it, it built in me a very critical voice, a very shaming, critical judging voice that I think, you know, I always look at now and say, oh, but also that helped me. It helped me achieve certain things. But it also kind of centered me on maybe the wrong things and feeling like what's important is what other people think of you instead of sort of finding some peace with yourself. And I think that also kind of got more amplified the more complicated my relationships with food. I was obsessed with weight loss. At 10 years old, I was in Weight Watchers enrolled with my mom, even though really I wasn't that overweight. Um, but all the way along, I can look back and see journals where I wrote down eating plans and exercise plans, and this will be the year that I do this. And, you know, and it, it never changed because I didn't understand there was this emotional underpinning to all my eating dysfunction. I just thought if I just had the willpower, if I just like grit my teeth and just do this, it will be, you know, it will be fine. Um, when I went off to college, <laughs> my eating was even worse because it was like buffet dining halls. And also it was like this super high pressure Ivy league environment where everybody seemed perfect. Everyone's lives seemed perfect. They looked perfect. And I just felt all the ways that I wasn't measuring up to that. Um, thank you. So, um, I definitely put on weight then and in my twenties and thirties and I would try and lose weight, but I really just didn't have a lot of success because again, I didn't understand what was causing it. About eight years ago, I found myself in an OA meeting. It was the first time I ever went to one and it terrified me. I went in there and I just wasn't ready. You know, I just was in such denial about where I was that I like was like, oh, I'm not like those people. I'm definitely not like those people. And I left and that was it for years and years. I didn't go back. Um, but I just kept putting on weight and feeling isolated and um, anxiety was starting to take over the heavier I got the more I was like, am I going to break that chair? Am I going to fit in the plane seat? Am I going to fit in those theater seats? And the whole underlying theme was, am I going to end up being humiliated? It was like this thing that separated me from the life I wanted to live. But despite how much pain there was, I couldn't figure out how to fix it. And I would not ask for help. I was absolutely just like, I have to figure this out. A good person would be able to figure this out. Why can't I figure this out? Um, just to give you a sense of like right before I came into OA, the kind of eating patterns that I had is I had a job where I had to go down to San Jose once a week. I would drive through the Krispy Kreme drive through and I didn't want to order three or four donuts because I thought that would make me look like a pig. So instead I ordered a whole box, a dozen donuts, because I thought that will make it seem like I'm taking these to my coworkers. And then I sat in the parking lot and ate most of the box of donuts. And then I would like throw away the box in the parking lot at work before I went into the office. It was like secretive. It was about stress management. It was about all the things, but none of it was about being honest. Um, it was all about just trying to like avoid feelings with food. I drank Coke all day long. I uh, would come home from work at 10 p.m. and stop at the 7-Eleven or the liquor store and buy junk food and then just eat it at midnight. And I just was in this like cycle of denial, despair, hopeless. Like I kept getting heavier and I I even sought out an eating disorder specialist who was a therapist 
And then I proceeded to sit across from her for almost a year and never talk about my weight, never talk about food, never talk about, you know, just, I just couldn't face where I let myself go. And so fast forward to two and a half years ago, I went to my first real OA meeting and it was a completely different experience than before. I was felt so welcomed. It was so warm and I was really open to it. I was humbled by the fact that I just was so desperate. I couldn't figure out how to fix what was wrong with me. And so I started going to the meetings and what I heard was people telling stories that I could just so relate to people. It felt like people had gone inside my own mind and were kind of sharing my own life experience. And suddenly this thing that had been so isolating and so scary and I had felt so alone with my whole life, like I didn't feel alone anymore. Um, and it did take a long time for me to feel comfortable making calls. Like I remember the first time I was going to make a call, I felt like a, you know, eighth grader trying to dial the number and then be like, no, no, no. And then dial the number and then no, no, no. Um, but what I found was that there were understanding, compassionate people who listened, who could relate to what I was going through. And what really happened is that I saw that when I say things out loud, it changes my relationship to that thing because I, the shame goes away in some big, huge part of it is about being able to stop feeling so ashamed and just sort of face what is. And, um, as a part of the, I went on a structured weight loss program separate from OA, but like at the same time with my doctor. And so part of that was I couldn't eat regular food. I had a very prescriptive diet and I literally grieved the loss of food over months. Like I found myself on vacation with my husband in Palm Springs in a movie theater, literally crying because I couldn't have the movie concessions. I found myself crying when I'd walk up and down Solano Avenue and see all these people at restaurants and feel like I can't go have that. And it's really because I didn't know how to function without using food to manage my emotions. And I, I didn't realize that if I hadn't had that experience, I don't think I really would have realized how deeply dysfunctional that relationship was. And I had to learn how to feel feelings that I hadn't let myself feel. I had to learn how to sit with really uncomfortable things and face those in myself. And I hated it. And it was so hard, but it also taught me that I could survive it and that it wasn't going to destroy me to just have to be sad or to feel lonely or to feel like hurt by other people. Um, when I started um, the program meetings, have you know, I, I struggled a little bit with the sort of God, some of the higher power language. Um, but pretty immediately what I came to really believe and feel for me was that the fellowship was such a powerful power for me. That was my higher power, that the community of people, that being able to come to meetings, that thank you, I see that, thank you so much, Lori. Um, being able to come to meetings, being able to share with other people and hear from them um, really made such a tremendous difference to my recovery journey and to, um, again, to just not allowing myself to isolate with this and to feeling like, you know, um, this is, this is something that I'm not the only person in the world that has. I, I always want to be like a special unicorn, but the truth is I'm not a special unicorn. I'm just a person and I'm a person that struggles just like every other person has different things that they struggle with. And when I come into this room, the most important thing is just that I'm honest and that I listen. Like those are the two things that I value. And I feel like I always have held up myself that I need to be able to come to a meeting and be honest. I need to be able to be honest with my husband and I need to be able to be honest with my accountability partner 
Um, those are the three things that if I'm doing something that I can't be honest in those three settings, then I need to really pause and examine it because it's probably not something that I want to be doing. And that has really helped me because I have these cycles of, you know, so in terms of kind of what is it like now, you know, I, I, I have these cycles where I get like a little bit confused in my mind about, well, maybe is it okay to do this or is it okay to do that? Or I, you know, start my abstinence creep kind of, um, you know, food plan starts to move a little bit. And what I have found is that when I can kind of pause and use that lens of like, is this something you want to go be honest about with all these people? Um, if it's not, then I need to sort of stop, step back and think about it again. Things that have been really powerful for me in addition to meetings are journaling and writing. So I, I love, um, I go to some writing meetings, but I also have like daily readers that I'll write with or just doing journaling. Um, making phone calls really does help um, because it, again, it gets me out of my own head and in relationship with other people and it gets me saying things out loud. Um, I have a step study partner and so we meet regularly and have been working through all the steps together and um, that's been really helpful and powerful. Um, and I think in terms of just sort of like what's happened, I lost 120 pounds in the first year that I was a part of this program. Um, and I think that it's not so much about the weight. What's really powerful is I had start, my life had oriented around fear. My life was so oriented around everything I was afraid might happen. All the things that I was um, terrified of or worried about or overthinking in the future. And now I focus on what it is I hope for, what it is I want, what it is I want to like move towards. And that has been such a huge, a huge change in my life. It's just been um, a real miracle of this program, I feel like. And the other thing I'll say is that I, um, I used to have so much shame. I didn't, I had no idea how much shame I was carrying around until it was lifted off of me. And that really came through OA. And it's like, it's like someone took off an 80 pound backpack that I was wearing around all my life every single day and now I don't feel that anymore and I feel like I can feel good about the person I am and I can be open and honest with other people when they you know about things in my life without having to be so guarded um I also feel like I'm still learning you know it's one day at a time there's no like I, for the longest time I kept thinking well when am I going to get over the hump and then I'll be fine and I won't need all this and I won't need to do all this. It doesn't work that way. It hasn't worked that way for me anyway. This is like a every day you get up and you do the work. And every day you do the best you can. And then the next day you get a fresh new day. And there's something so beautiful about that for someone that's such a perfectionist to feel like whatever happens today, I get to get up in the morning and start again. And I have, you know, an opportunity there to make the day the right kind of day that I want it to be to take the right actions and to not worry so much about the outcome, but just about my part. Um, I still have hard days and I still work this program one day at a time. I um, am also struck by how, you know, somewhere along the way I learned that I have this eating disorder voice that's loud in my head sometimes. And what's been really nice is to see that it's volume. It's still there. It's still there and it still comes up sometimes, but the volume is so much less than it used to be. When I was in the midst of sort of really making this change at the very, in the first year, sometimes I just would feel like this is like someone is shouting inside my head, like, go get that food, go, go do this thing. Like it, and it, it would not quiet down. And it was, so, it made me like feel crazy, but it also, um, 
it also was just like, it just took up so much space. And now that does, that's not so present for me. So that's been a really beautiful change as well, just because I have all that time and energy and emotional space to do other things with. Um, one of the really hard things that I think as a part of all this weight and this sort of despair and hopelessness that I felt when I was coming into OA, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I, I also had other challenges in my life. One of them was infertility. We had struggled for 10 years to try to have a baby. And that was another thing that was just so painful, but I couldn't really face it. And in facing all of this in this program and sort of reorienting towards feeling hopeful and um, we were really able to face that. And I'm happy to report that in about two and a half weeks, we're going to have our first baby, um, a little girl. And um, I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the trials and tribulations it's been to get here. But I honestly see that as a gift of this program too, because so much about this has been about clearing a path that food used to just fully occupy in order to make space for the life I want to have. And that is like the most beautiful gift. I. Um, <clears throat> I think gratitude is a really important part of my program as well. Every day I'm struck by how fortunate I am in so many respects, but in this program, like just to have found this and to have been able to um, move through after, you know, nearly 40 years of a really dysfunctional relationship to food, it's just been a really powerful to see that I could um, have such a markedly different life at this stage. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, and the last thing I'll say that's different now is I just try to talk more kindly to myself. And again, I'm still working on that, but I had such a critical voice for so many years, so judgmental and so hard on myself and thus I'm hard on other people. And I, I, I love this quote that, um, is that, you know, basically that com compassion comes from acceptance. So when we can accept ourselves, we can better accept other people and we can better look out at the world with compassion. And I, I really try to think about that as I sort of think about, you know, how I look at my own self. So when I come to step seven, one of the things that I reflect on are a couple things. One is humility, like how much this journey has been about really being able to let my guard down and say, gosh, I don't know all the answers and I can't figure this out by myself. The number of years I spent knocking my head against the wall, believing that I had to do this on my own, because that's how I lived as a child. On a, as a child, you had to navigate this complicated world on your own because the other people around you, their lives were complicated and they were focused on that, you know, so you had to make your own way. And so it's been like such a powerful thing to realize, like it's not a mark against you to ask for help. It's actually okay. And so I feel like the humility part of step seven is a lot about how I can kind of come with my vulnerable, imperfect self and be willing to sort of own that. And also, um, you know, the process of going through steps four and five and um, six, a lot of that is, it's hard to see yourself in real truth and see all of the things that you maybe wish were different, but it's also such a gift to know yourself. And that's what this journey has done for me. It has been so much more about really truly knowing myself, not as I idealize or as I wish I were, but as I actually am. So sometimes I'm petty and sometimes I'm short with people and sometimes I'm whatever it is, but I can, I can, I'm an okay person even so, and that I can, I can accept those as a whole part of me and not expect that I'm only going to be okay once I stop being like this or that. Um, because I think this process of really asking God to remove my shortcomings has to do with being able to accept them as a part of who I am. 
and not feeling like it's my job to fix it all. So um, I think I'll just leave it there and just say it's such a gift to have a chance to reflect back over what has been a really powerful personal journey, but also to have the chance to share that with all of you who I um, just deeply appreciate the community and fellowship of OA. And um, every time I come to a meeting, I hear things that that are such nuggets of wisdom and that help shape the way that I think about my own recovery. And so I'm grateful to be with you all. And I thank you so much for the opportunity.